arms as a child when danger came my way i wondered how i'd ever make it through but then i heard him say i'll send someone your way i'll send an angel to watch over you Wrong today. Just let your love shine on me, Lord. 
From which I'm never turning back Oh, the devil, he would overtake me But I keep going and that's a fact On that day when I reach heaven I'll be so happy I won't know how to ride Let your love shine on me Let your love shine down on me Let your spirit fill me Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona, December the 19th, 2019, and we are uh, back together again in the studies within the writings of the Apostle Peter, and we're in, of course, 1 Peter to start with. Episode number eight is where we're at in the time timeline that we've been putting through here, second second chapter, um, verses 18 through 25 this evening, but I want to uh, reread just a few of the verses preceding this to get us back into the frame of mind that the apostle is talking about. He's turned to, uh, after our first sessions, the first six studies, He turned to uh, some things that have a lot to do with living within the world uh, as a Christian person, as far as instructions, if you will, um, that I think are pretty pretty weighty. Uh, Verses 13 through 17, we're going to read, and I've been, see, is this the uh, Young's Literal? We're going from the Young's Literal translation Uh, in my reading because it matches my notes and um, I think he does a good job even though uh, the sentence structure is a little little different than we're used to. 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles or just listen uh, to the things said here. He starts with the idea of be subject then to every human creation because of the Lord whether to a king as the highest, 
whether to governors as to those sent through him for punishment, indeed of evildoers, and a praise of those doing good. Because so is the will of God, doing good, to put to silence the ignorance of the foolish men, as free and not having the freedom as a cloak of the evil, but as servants of God. To all give ye honor. The brotherhood love ye. God fear, yet ye the honor, or the king honor ye. Um, that last verse, verse 17, I want to make sure we understand uh, the order of that verse, the chronology of that verse, if you will. Uh, as I mentioned, I want to say it again. It says, to all give ye honor. Well, um, those are people in general. Uh, it says honor, um, and it goes on uh, with the next, uh, the next thing is to love the brotherhood, which is uh, that word, um, let's see, what's our... Should be Philadelphia or... Oh, the word love. Check the word love for the... Uh, love is agape. Okay, agape. <clears throat> and isn't that just what the Apostle John says in 1 John? And the reason we have loved the brotherhood, honor men everywhere, love the brotherhood, and then, of course, fear... Uh, have honor or reverence for God and fear the king and honor him because of it. So we go back to the secular thinking. Um, now it's possible you may have a king where you're living that is also your brother in Christ. Uh, that, that happens uh, now and again, but probably not that often. Um, so I think the, the order here, uh, when I look at it closely, I like the order. And I think it's appropriate, and I think it matches up with the, the way that our thinking should be. Um, so as you remember, uh, love the brotherhood, the Apostle John says, uh, do not say you love God and hate your brother. And that brother, of course, is another brother in Christ. <clears throat> So I think that's all very fitting. And I think all this now, I've done this to refresh our thinking because we're going to move on in, into this just a little more and then we're going to turn to the example of Jesus and how he lived this for us and, and, and more uh, tasks for us to uh, rise to in the way of living in this world. I think these words are certainly in the nature of good counsel. Uh, I won't say that they're apostolic commands, uh, but they're certainly good counsel. I don't believe they need to be in, the, in a command uh, because they come from the, from the apostles. I think we put them in the category of 
the way to be in Christ. And I, I, that's why I do believe they need to be obeyed, especially as we live in the world of men and in a world that know not God. And these things are, uh, these attitudes and these workings, if we will do them, uh, will show forth our love of God. In the time of the Apostle Peter, and even now, I think we can say that the act of doing good will really not bring us under the judgment of men's governments, typically. Uh, There may be a case, of course. In fact, it is a clear way of bringing honor upon our God and the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian in the... uh, in the world or the atmosphere of the unbelieving world of men and women. Uh, Things done in this way sometimes really catches the attention of people. And you may even be asked, why are you being this way? (laughs) You got a good chance to tell them why. On the other hand, Christian lawbreakers will pay for their own misdeeds as lawbreakers and not as martyrs, even though most will say they're being martyred. But in fact, they're not if they are really a lawbreaker um, because this does not please God. And and obviously this lesson amongst uh, Christian people has not been learned generation after generation. How can the unbelieving world learn Jesus when his followers have no respect for even the civil government that they must live under? This is the apostle's point in these verses. And he continues these teachings in the rest of the verses of this chapter using perfect examples of Jesus as he suffered unjustly by the hands of Israel's leaders, and of course, uh, under the auspices of the Roman authority that they all lived under. So this is the tone that we enter tonight as we look at the other verses. Just looking at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, kind of taking off right where we were. Um, In the Young's Little Literal Translation, the first uh, comment is the the domestics, or the domestics. Um, That's not a a typical word in our vernacular today. Uh, I think we know what domestics are, but it really is the word for servant here. So, to the servants, be subjecting yourselves in all fear to the masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cross. For this is gracious, if because of conscience towards God any one doth endure sorrows, suffering unrighteously, for what renown is it? If sinning and being buffeted ye do endure it. But if 
doing good and suffering for it, you do endure. This is the graciousness with God. All right. Well, the servants, being subject, and I, I want to mention that that being subject is in, in the original language, it's in the middle voice. In other words, um, meaning that the decision to, be, to put yourself in subjection came from the servant. Your decision. Not being just compelled. Uh, there are times when people are servants and they're, they're really not uh, volunteers, if you know what I mean. Uh, so this isn't the act of being compelled. It's the act of being in subjection by your own will. In all fear, and that, that word means, in this case, it means awe, in awe of the masters, um, in awe of or to the masters, towards the masters, and not just the good ones, but also to those who have a cruel disposition. Young uses the word cross. Well, that's a... That's a describing, of course, the character of the person that is the master. But it has to do with having a cruel disposition, typically, I think, a little more understandable. In verse 19, for this is a gracious act. So he, he's tell, showing us here that uh, the things that are gracious acts that are pleasing to God is when we endure hardship, suffering, out of love, and a good conscience towards God when we do it for that reason. Uh, whether the master be uh, or the task be difficult or easy or the master be uh, friendly or, or uh, very ornery with a cruel disposition, these things done uh, in a way is, is pleasing to God when we do endure hardship, suffering, out of a good conscience, and that, that's what it does. It gives us a good conscience uh, towards God. By the way, this book of First Peter uh, uses this idea of a, con a good conscience towards God in a, in a number of places that are um, kind of distinguished with uh, Peter's writings. Um, and it means that it's noteworthy. In other words, God notes this. This is something that God will um, has a favorable look upon uh, when we do these things under sometimes very unpleasant uh, circumstances. And then verse 20 again, for what renown is it if sinning and being buffeted you do endure it, but if doing good and suffering for it you do endure? This is gracious with God. For what renown is it? You see, it has to, if we're going to do these things, um, even under bad circumstances, we need to understand that the idea of it being a gracious act towards God should be in our minds. And that's not in the minds of, of the world. Um, if you've ever been amongst a, a group of people that were really in distress, You'll see the you'll see the different characters and the nature of the people around you, 
as they uh, speak of what is happening. Um, and there, there should be a difference between the, the natural person and the child of God. So these acts that Peter is describing here are not the normal response of people being mistreated. The difference, of course, as I've said, of the natural man is that really the natural man has no thoughts beyond the present suffering, beyond the present condition and situation that he's in. So he's dealing with things minute by minute, if you will, second by second. While the child of God looks to the hope that is within him, that's the hope that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, um, that faith brings hope. And hope is something that we wait for. Even We endure life many times, but we have that hope within us. So it's through faith in the Lord, and at the end of the day, if there's any uh, silver lining on the cloud of, of suffering and being mistreated, especially as a Christian, we know that it is well-pleasing to God in our case or in the case of those that are involved. <clears throat> you know, this is probably a lot more comforting after the fact than it is during the encounter. Um, but many people have experienced this uh, sometimes in a very subtle way and sometimes in a very, very real physical way. So from the, the next verses, of course, Peter, uh, being the apostle and the friend of Jesus, the eyewitness of Jesus, um, as a person who spoke to Jesus probably more than any of the rest of the apostles as far as questions and, and comments and things. And Jesus told him that after Peter had denied him, uh, he told him later on that when you come back to me, uh, restore your brothers. In other words, strengthen your brothers. He had a very he had a personality that was uh, had the air of uh, comforting the other men just by the way he acted, spoke, and uh, that's the type of person he was. And Jesus used that um, for the well-being of the apostles and the work that needed to be done. So these verses that we read are things concerning Jesus that are very important. 21 through 25, let's just read 21 first, and then we'll go through them like this. It says, breaking in, the, in a little different thought, changing course just a little bit with these words, for to this you were called. Now, that when we read that, brethren, we need to really sit up and pay attention. Because if, if we don't, if we're not doing what we've been called to, uh, we're not really where we belong. But Peter's saying that this is what we're called to do, the things that he has been commenting about. And he goes on to say, because Christ also did suffer for you. 
leaving to you an example that you may follow his steps. In Christ, in other words, the road may get bumpy. But the Lord suffered to accomplish his task, and so may we. We may suffer accomplishing our task. But he is our example and our guide, but many times the road may seem a lonely one. Have you ever been there? Seems like you're the only one. Reminds me of the prophet that told God in his prayer that he was the only one left that was holding to the truth of God. Now, he was wrong about that. I think God told him there were 7,000 more or something that were holding fast the faith. But we can feel very lonesome on, on this bumpy road. Verse 22, speaking of Jesus, of course, all these comments are, who did not commit sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling again, suffering, was not threatened, and was committing, was not threatening, excuse me, and was committing himself to him who is judging righteously. Verse 22 is that, that high bar of Christ for our example. The high bar who did commit no sin and no guile found in his mouth. That's our example. But I think we know that, that that's a high bar. But the Lord had it, and that's why we give him, uh, we call him our Savior and the Son of God. In verse 23, before we move on, I want to read um, from uh, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. Verse 23 takes us into that thinking. And I'll just read a portion of it. Of course, the whole chapter speaks uh, of, of the Messiah, but these are the words that pertain to what Peter is saying here from verse 6 through 12. And the prophet writes uh, concerning the Messiah, All of us, like sheep, have wandered, each to his own. Each to his own way we have turned. And Jehovah has caused to meet on him the punishment of us all. Now, that's speaking of the fact that God has put the, the caused the punishment of all men to fall upon the Messiah, all of us. Verse 7, And hath been exacted, and he hath answered, and he openeth not, openeth not his mouth as a lamb to the slaughter he is brought. And as a sheep before its shears is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. By restraint and by judgment he hath been taken. And of his generation, who doth mediate, that he might be cut off from the land of the living? By the transgression of my people, 
he is plagued and is appointed with the wicked in uh, wicked his grave and with the rich in his high places because he doth no violence nor is deceit in his mouth and jehovah doth and jehovah hath delighted to bruise him he hath made him sick if his soul doth make an offering for guilt he seeth seed he prolongeth days, and the pleasure of Jehovah in his hand doth prosper. Of the labor of his soul he seeth, he is satisfied. Through his knowledge give righteousness doth the righteous one, my servant to many, and their iniquities he doth bear. Therefore I give a portion to him among the many, and with the mighty he he, appears apportioneth the spoil because that he was exposed to death his soul and with the transgressors he was numbered and he the sin of many hath borne and for transgressors he did intercedeth. Well, we see these these verses and we've read them many many times um, and you know we need to always remember of course Isaiah writing a little more than 600 years before these things were actually accomplished by Jesus of Nazareth as the son of God and the Messiah all these things being true but in in our uh, in our scripture, uh, starting then again with verse 24 and 25, in First Peter chapter 2, he finishes off with, with these two verses. Of course, this is matching what Isaiah said. Who our sins himself did bear in his body upon the tree, that to the sins having died to the righteousness we may live, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but he turned, but ye turned back now to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, we see, the, of course, the idea of Jesus bearing the sins. Uh, in Isaiah, of course, they were talking about the sins of Israel, the sins of the Jewish people. Um, and that was to be understood. That was the Messiah. And the words are seem clear enough that uh, there would have been a very clear understanding of this. And yet, you know, the Jews were waiting for a king to remove their oppressors other people, other men, if it wasn't the Babylonians, it was the Persians or the Assyrians or the, the Romans. But they didn't understand that it was their sins that needed to be carried away, not, not their conquerors in the flesh. Christ, so, Christ bore sin, bore, bore, he, he took on those sins, but the people... They turned back. They turned right. away. 
and got on the way. Yeah. And that's what we have to remember <laughs> is that it was the leaders of Israel that demanded his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Making the, the most fo- foolish of all statements, may his blood be upon us as though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was, they were filling their, uh, the prophecy, didn't know it, sure did. but they were incredibly uh, weak in their understanding. And they just uh, were afraid of their position or whatever the issue may have been. Um, but even though they did that, uh, Jesus is the one that said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that is exactly the point. No one could have been yelling out for the crucifixion of Jesus if they would have known what they were doing. And the apostles preached that all the time, that they were ignorant of what they had done. And so in the very last thought that he gives in what we call verse 25, he makes that statement, but you turned back now to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Um, Now that's, uh, uh, I really like that because Jesus is always calling to those who have strayed and forgotten their God, forgotten their place, uh, forgotten the um, the uh, the purity and, and the true role of man towards God. And this is the apostolic message. It's not one laced with a lot of threats here, like, you know, if you don't turn back now, you're going to burn and things of that sort. It doesn't say that here. It's not laced with threats, but it's it's an offer, if you will, of the right hand of fellowship from the apostles to those who will obey the gospel and come to Christ. That's what it is. Terms of pardon. It's the terms of pardon, and that's why I like that phrase, terms of pardon. And that's why I really appreciate the apostolic writing. Um, Because, well, of course, it, it carries the most powerful words and the most powerful instructions because these are the Savior's men. These are the ones that he sent and we read about in Acts chapter 1 that they were to go into uh, Jerusalem and and uh, Samaria and all points and even to the ends of the earth preaching the good news, preaching the message of Christ. Preaching to the people, of course the Jew first, and then the Gentile, as it was known, came to be known. And it wasn't very long before the Apostle Peter stood up amongst the the apostles and delivered that very first sermon to the Jewish people. And then some years later, after God revealed to him on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house through multiple instructions 
about where he told Peter to kill and eat and the things that were there to kill and eat were not the kind of food that Jewish men ate. Uh, it, would have, it was against the law of Moses. And God finally was teaching Peter and he came to understand even that night just what God said, what I have called clean, you don't call unclean. Now, that, that's a very authoritative statement. And Peter took it to heart. But still, he didn't have a full understanding or a full appreciation of it until that very same night when those men came from Cornelius, a Gentile and a Roman centurion, for him to come to his home. All of those things were completely not the thing that Jewish people did. They did not go into Gentiles' homes. Mm -hmm. They did not eat with Gentiles. They did not fellowship with Gentiles. It was not their, I was going to say custom, but it was not their way, um, in, in, especially when they were, where there was more than one Jew. They were very careful about these things. Um, and Peter then was used that key that Jesus gave him to unlock the gospel to the Gentile world. And from that moment on, that's Acts chapter 10 and 11. It happens in 10, and then in chapter 11, Peter's got to explain what he did to the Jews back in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. um, and they stood in amazement because Peter had witnesses with him, Jewish men, that saw the things that happened in the house of Cornelius. And they believed and they praised God that now even the Gentiles were being brought into the kingdom. I think that's wonderful. That's who we're reading here. This is who we're reading. And this, this uh, epistle was written many, many years after that occurrence in the house of Cornelius. The, these are the uh, words and the thinking of, uh, of um, the apostle, a very mature man at this time, has seen a lot, has experienced a very lot. Um, and, and still, after all this, holds his Savior up, and not only that, but extends his hand in fellowship to those that will uh, obey the gospel and to those that are, are within the family. Uh, this is all in way of encouragement to those living in the world as strangers and sojourners in the world of man, in the world of the pagan world, the Roman world, uh, the Romans had a hard time figuring out what deity they wanted to worship, just like most other folks. So did the Greeks. And for a while there, the Greeks decided they wanted to worship the same God that the Romans had. But it went back and forth. <clears throat> In closing tonight, um, I want to look at Acts chapter 2. Um, this, of course, during the time of uh, Peter's uh, first sermon that I mentioned here just a few minutes ago. And read these words uh, that Peter spoke to the Jews. And uh, you can, if you can make a word picture in your mind of the crowd that he must have had, 
uh, Jews and proselytes from not only Jerusalem and around uh, Palestine, but from all over the known world that were coming there at that time of the year, had been there for some time even. And this was Pentecost. But during the, at the end of his uh, talk here, close to the end, he says this. He says, this Jesus did God raise up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, the, the true witness he's speaking about, because I happen to know the we is in first person there, so he's speaking of the apostles first. There may have been other witnesses, um, there were, matter of fact, there were uh, quite a few other witnesses, but these are the eyewitnesses of the Savior, the apostles. <clears throat> Verse 33, At the right hand then of God, having been exalted, also the promise of the Holy Spirit having received from the Father, he was shedding forth this, which now you see, and here, and they had too. They had seen and heard things that were unexplainable to them that day, including, and that's not even including the message that Peter's giving them, other physical things. Then he speaks of David in verse 34. For David did not go up to the heavens, and he saith himself, The Lord saith to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Assuredly, therefore, let all the house of Israel know that both Lord and Christ did God make him, this Jesus, whom ye did crucify. When he says, you did crucify. He's speaking of Israel in general. Um, because of the fact that not only this sin, but all the other sins would soon be paid for. The corporate Israel. This is the corporate Israel. Of course, that would be excluding those that uh, were... Um, followers of Jesus that had nothing to do with the crucifixion, but a very small group compared to all of Israel. Verse 37, And having heard they, that is the crowd, were pricked to their heart, and they said also to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, What shall we do, men and brethren? I'd like to have heard just how that was voiced because it was voiced more than by one person. It was voiced by a lot of people, probably all at once, because this message that Peter was, was delivering was bringing, was bringing their emotions and their thinking and, near, and their, their inner workings to a point, a pinnacle, if you will to where they, this is what they say, what shall we do? They wanted to know. There had to be a solution for their incredible situation because they had crucified the anointed one. The anointed one was God's Messiah. They knew that then. 
many of them believed it. And how many were came to the Lord? I think 3,000, it says, which was probably more than that. And Peter simply says to them, Reform and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all those afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call, and also with many more other words, he was testifying and exhorting, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I don't know how many other words he said, but I think there was a, a, there was a lot of folks clamoring to be doing exactly what he said, reform. Or we use the word repent. Reform is a little better word in a lot of ways. It means turn around, your thinking turn around and and move towards God instead of towards your own understanding. And this being, of course, the apostolic gospel that's preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles all over the world and still is today. And when we... We start again in, in chapter 3 of First Peter, a very interesting chapter, covers a number of items, but it starts off with uh, more concepts of being subject. Uh, Peter in First Peter and Second Peter, as far as that goes, within the church, church folks, the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, all of the people in the church, Peter gives us the instructions how to live amongst each other, how we should act, how we should speak, um, what our attitude should be. And these instructions are instructions that unfortunately are not spoke about too awful much anymore in the church. It's it's almost like um, if you've read it once, you got it, and don't bother repeating that to me. Well, I think we find that uh, if we don't go over them and we don't look at them again and, and make sure we understand the gravity of it and the grammar of it uh, and that it was good counsel then, it's good counsel today that uh, if, if we forget, we will forget. Why do you suppose we, we uh, participate in the communion every week? Because I've had been told by people that have been Christians their whole lives if when they got away from being part of the communion service and were here, there, and other places, that they stopped thinking about it. And these weren't people that uh, that would have just stopped thinking about it for no reason. It's just how we are. So this is why we study, this is why we go over these things. And 
We will not be broadcasting live one week from today due to the time of year, which is the Christmas time uh, of busy, busy families and and things of this sort. Uh, And we do here, uh, from the group here, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas this year as you continue on in your life and in your efforts to know God better. And we, uh, we will close in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word and for the apostolic teaching that we may draw closer to you and be aware, Father, of the things you have for us, the things that please you and the things that displease you. We pray that we are aware of every day And we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.